Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. I want to thank everybody for joining me this evening. It is August the 6th, Thursday. And as I like to begin each show, I'm going to uh, give you the weather report down here in southwest Florida. It was not a dark, it's not a dark and stormy night, but it was a very stormy afternoon. Uh, saw some pretty heavy rain, a lot of, a uh, lot of noise, and uh, we had to give up, give Bahama her doggy downer a little early today, but she's doing fine. The skies have cleared. It's very hot, but it, uh, we're not going to get any rain tonight. So oh, uh, Bahama is doing uh, quite well, well here inside the opium den tonight, curled up at the other side of my desk. So I'm hoping your weather is good tonight, wherever, you're, wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, and I hope you are having a good, good summer evening. Now here inside the opium den, we'd like to hear from our listeners. Uh, you can give me a call at 727-493-2205. That's any time. Give me a call, 727-493-2205. And if you Skype, you can uh, give me a call on Skype. My Skype ID is the New Libertarian. The New Libertarian Skype ID. And as always, you can email us right here at the Opium Den, on the home page, there is a email, Daniel button, hit that, send us your email question or comment, but we'd much prefer to put you on the radio show, so give us a call, 727-493-2205, or on Skype, my Skype ID is The New Libertarian. Well, it seems like uh, there hasn't been a lot of... of uh, U.S. drug news uh, since we spoke last. Um, of course, the arrests of uh, American uh, Americans for possession of marijuana continues unabated. Most of those arrested, as we all know, are young people. But uh, it was a relatively quiet, quiet uh, week. Now, there's some kind of big news out of California that uh, they have introduced two uh, two initiatives trying to get on the 2010 ballot in California, both of these initiatives, although having the same goal of legalizing and regulating and creating a regulated market for cannabis. The goals are the same. The, uh, the language in the bills are a little bit different, which, you know, I applaud all these efforts, but it just goes to show you've got two bills going to compete, two initiatives going to compete with each other unless one bows out or the other. Two uh, competing initiatives. It just, it's just indicative and very telling of uh, the current state of drug policy reform. The, the state that should know the most about uh, cannabis legislation medicinally or for recreational use is having difficulty coming up with one unified bill or initiative. I think that's kind of silly, but like I said, it's also indicative of the current state of affairs in drug policy reform. And speaking of which, our friend of the show, Chris 
Crane, past executive director for Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Chris uh, gave me a, a nice interview. You can go to the archives and listen to our, our first interview together. And uh, Chris will be coming back inside the Opium Den here in a, in a couple of weeks uh, to discuss uh, how things have gone uh, since uh, moving on from Students for Sensible Drug Policy, what he's currently doing in the drug policy form arena. And uh, and if he hasn't gotten a, uh, started his new position yet, then he should be hopefully free to speak exactly what he thinks uh, outside of the confines of a 501c3 uh, organization. Not that that's a bad thing, but uh, we'll see what Chris has to say about the current state of drug policy reform. We'll also be having, uh, coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks, will be Pete Geither. Uh, Pete's a very smart fellow. Many of you know Pete. He writes the Drug Warrant, or the Drug War Rant, uh, dot com, drugwarrant.com. Uh, Pete's one of the smartest guys out there. His column is uh, usually written every single day, and when it's not, he's, he's maybe out of town doing one of his other uh, other pursuits outside of writing the drug warrant and being a, uh, a university professor. But Pete will be coming on in the next couple of weeks. We'll be doing an interview with Pete, and we'll talk about how things got started with him and uh, in drug policy reform and how... Uh, drug warrant. It's, always, it's a hard thing to say. It's an easy thing to read, but a hard thing to say. Do you want to say drug warrant or the drug war rant? I guess if you take your time and say the drug war rant, you get it right. But being that as it may, Pete uh, will be joining us uh, in the next couple of weeks for an interview. We've got a couple others in the hopper. Can't, uh, don't want to say because I'll embarrass myself if they don't come true. But uh, we're continuing to build our, our interview library, all available inside uh, the archives, right there on the homepage. Hit the archive button right above, on the right-hand side, right above the, uh, the uh, Den Heads button. So go to archives. And not just don't listen to Chris's uh, interview. There's a lot of good ones in there as you can check out. So that's, uh, like I said, not a whole lot of news in the, uh, the drug world aside from the you know, violence continuing and the busts continuing. Uh, the two uh, competing initiatives out in California were most of, the, uh, most of the news. But what's been getting a lot of news lately is the news. And the reason I say that is um, I don't know how many of my listeners actually watch mainstream media, but um, good, <laughs> good for you if you don't, because <laughs> they're crazy facts. But I watch them because I'm old and uh, don't have much else to do, but I watch them because, uh, because you don't have to, I guess. But the recent, uh, recent dust-up has been between uh, NBC and uh, Fox. Uh, Jeffrey Immelt, uh, many of you may or may not know, but he's the uh, CEO of General Electric, which is the parent company of NBC, which has a subsidiary of MSNBC. 
and Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. Uh, many of you uh, probably recognize that name as the uh, CEO of, of all things Fox. And uh, the, the rift, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't stand watching uh, many of these, so tell me, so trust me when I tell you I, I watch so you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> Got me a break. But anyway, there's been a big dust up because uh, of the feud between uh, Keith Oberman, who is uh, the MSNBC talking head, and uh, Bill O'Reilly, who is the uh, Fox News talking head. Apparently, uh, not apparently because I, I've seen it enough to know that it happens with great frequency up until now, Oberman was always beating up O'Reilly and O'Reilly was always beating up Oberman and GE and uh, the whole feud got to be pretty silly. The Fox folks were uh, going after Jeffrey Umult for uh, possible illegal sales of weapons and parts to uh, to Iran. And, uh, you know, it's just that he said, she said, fuck you, got you, all that type of stuff. And uh, so that was going on from the Fox perspective. They were writing uh, Jeffrey Immelt. And then uh, Oberman was, uh, you know, giving uh, Bill O'Reilly a hard time, always making him uh, a, a very frequent, uh, very, very frequent guest on his worst person of the world uh, bit. Um, so this was getting pretty weird, apparently, in the uh, the back rooms and the, uh, just in the back, <laughs> back rooms and the bathrooms of uh, these two large organizations. And a, and a, and a, truce, a truce was drawn and apparently signed then. Keith Oberman is no longer uh, giving Bill O'Reilly a hard time and Bill O'Reilly is no longer giving Keith Oberman a hard time. They both decided to give Lou Dobbs a hard time. <laughs> that's where I was going with this. I'm sorry, man, but that's that's what uh, they can't they can't yell at each other, you know. So when you're mad at somebody, they always say you hit somebody else, and that's what's going on here. So uh, not that uh, Lou Dobbs uh, doesn't deserve it, because he's uh, he's he, he's like gas on the uh, fire for this, uh, you know, birther movement. Does Obama, did Obama, uh, uh, was, was Obama born in, a, in the United States or, you know, was he, is he some Manchurian candidate type of deal? So to their credit, both uh, both Bill O'Reilly and Keith Oberman think this, thinks the birther uh, movement, as it's gained attraction being called, uh, think the birther movement people are <laughs> crazy. Uh, they call them the birthers. So... <laughs> They've uh, they've decided not to beat each other up because their corporate parents said no, no, and if you guys couldn't play nicely together, you wouldn't have a place to play. So they decided, okay, we'll make nice to each other, but they still need a target. They still need someone to blame. So they've both taken it upon themselves to <clears throat> tie Lou Dobbs to the birther movement, which I find pretty funny. But anyway, that's what's going on behind the scenes in the mainstream media. Not that you give a shit, but uh, people are people. Do, people do watch that shit, so uh, I do. So you don't have to. 
So another another piece of of more current news is the flap over the uh, the White House asking all those good Americans to forward along to the White House any any emails that we might get from either friends or you know strangers that uh, that sound a little fishy. Especially, that was the word they used, fishy. You know, you get something fishy on that email, send it to us, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll set their asses straight. So that's ba- basically, you know, that's what they've done. It's on, uh, you know, it's, I'm, nobody's making this up. It isn't a rumor. This is, you know, it's documented, and it's true. Now, there's, uh, there's, a, lot, <laughs> there's a lot fucking wrong with that, uh, with that idea. Um, I guess, first of all, I mean, you know, I guess not, not that it's that big a deal, but uh, asking as American citizens for that type of information and then collecting it in information uh, is, is against the First Amendment, and it is clearly uh, unconstitutional, and it has been proven as such uh, several, several times by several different uh, courts. Uh, First Amendment says, you know, the government cannot uh, collect this information. You know, hello. So uh, it is, you know, just at its at its base level, it is an unconstitutional, uh, uh, an unconstitutional act. Now, there's a lot of people out there that are getting all freaked out, and uh, I mean, you know, you sh- you should get you should get a little freaked out because remember uh, Barack Obama, he did if I'm not mistaken, teach uh, constitutional law. Um, <laughs> so he should really have a pretty firm, uh, pretty firm handle on the First Amendment and what it actually means in relations to government requesting and, and collecting and storing this information and using it or, you know, groups out there soliciting uh, opinions. So, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of the mainstream media, uh, as well as you know, telling uh, telling their viewers that all of these uh, town hall meetings where local Democrats are getting are getting shouted down and and uh, given a hard time, you know, they're all right wing plots. Aside, you know, aside from from uh, from that. Um, They've got, uh, <laughs> okay, hang on, honey. Uh, sorry about that. My, my, uh, my beautiful wife walked in and distracted me. <laughs> but we were talking about uh, the First Amendment and uh, uh, the mainstream media is saying, you know, that he's not, the White House is not trying to uh, be a big brother type of deal. They don't want the, they don't want the emails. They don't want the, they don't care who wrote the emails. They just want to uh, have the opportunity to correct misinformation. Now, if you, ex- you know, if you accept that as their, as their reasoning, and a lot of people are going to, and it may very well be true. I don't think that they're all that sinister. I just think they're stupid because who's vetting this shit? Who's letting these people, you know, dress themselves in the morning that when they go to work, say stupid shit like this and cause and cause the uh, the White House to uh, 
uh, tap dance around. I mean, it's enough that Barack Obama, uh, you know, gets <laughs> gets his tit in the ringer by telling the police department in Cambridge that they acted stupidly and in, in arresting their uh, loud mouth, his loud mouth, but very tired and, and, and very nice man. You know, then they all got together for a, a brewski at the White House. But to uh, to um, <laughs> okay, close the door, please. Okay, my wife is <laughs> she's loose inside the opium den tonight, folks. So <laughs> what can I say? But uh, I love her. So, like I said, the White House is going to say, you know, we don't really care who said what, but we just want to know what was said so we can uh, take care of, uh, you know, correct this misinformation. And like I said, uh, I don't think it's sinister. I just think they're being they're being pretty stupid. I mean, like I said, who vets these ideas? And like, you know, getting up in the morning and going to work and saying stupid shit. So if it is naive... I think it's just as I think it's just as as um, frightening as if it was intentional, as if they did want to create some form of a of a list of of people who disagree with them, and <clears throat> and we'll and we'll never know, but you can bet that since this little trial balloon ended up being the turd in the punch bowl, the White House is going to, and they've already started to to walk this one back a bit. And it'll all blow over, and it'll, it'll come out that Barack Obama didn't know anything about anything, and he'll have plausible deniability. But that's all well and good. But like I said, if it wasn't intentional, it was, it was stupid and naive, and that is just uh, almost as bad. Now, uh, many of my faithful opium den listeners uh, know that uh, I've been paying attention to to politics since 1965. Yes, that makes me kind of old, but uh, nothing I can do about it. It's just how long I've been around and how long I've been a political junkie. Um, It's the only thing I've ever been addicted to, and God knows if you read my book, I've had every opportunity to to get addicted to virtually every uh, substance out there. But uh, politics is anything I've actually been been addicted to and remain so forever. It's a very hard Jones to kick. But like I said, I've been paying attention to politics since uh, 1965. And my first uh, real president that, uh, that I knew anything about or followed or anything about, was old enough to understand politics, was Richard Nixon. And he was elected in 1968, uh, the year that I was 18 years old, 1968. So I've been paying attention uh, for a while, and uh, I've always believed that I would go to my grave uh, knowing that uh, oh, Tricky Dick was probably uh, the most dangerous president we had as it uh, as it pertained to. Uh, uh, our own citizens. He did. Nobody is totally bad, and there are some things that can be a, a set of value for uh, Richard Nixon. I mean, he, he did go to China, and many people don't know that he signed the Environmental Protection Agency Act. But his his deep and 
almost limitless paranoia about uh, young people in the 60s, draft, uh, draft dodgers, war protesters, pot smokers, Timothy Leary's and the like. He was just completely, uh, completely insane in that regard. So uh, some of the things that he was doing, uh, sending CIA and military people in plain clothes around to take pictures of uh, protesters and trying to get quotes and the like, uh, it was pretty comical. I remember meeting uh, a couple of those type of individuals. Um, I know it's going to sound funny, but remember, I have, I have been around a while. They would come to parties, and you, know, you could spot them. It, it, back then, you know, you know, they had the short, before they got hip, so to speak. They had short hair, spoke in, you know, very silly ways, you know, not, not uh, you know, normal hippie talk. You know, they accentuated and, and tried to sound really hip. And plus, and I'm not, and I'm not shitting you, some of them actually wore wingtip shoes. So uh, it wasn't hard to spot them, but that's, you know, that's what... Uh, you know, some of the depths of paranoia that Nixon had. But this, I think, uh, let's, let's just, you know, like I said, more than likely Obama was naive and stupid, or the White House was naive and stupid. But if it, if it were uh, an information collection agency, um, it would be actually a little more frightening than what, uh, what Tricky Dick did uh, back in the 60s. Uh, it's not, you know, asking asking people to, first of all, you're letting the, the American people make the judgment what sounds fishy. Now, you know, to me, the whole thing is pretty fishy, the, the health care and the public option. And I uh, started to talk last week about, uh, about my health care policy that I had when I ran for uh, the top ticket, uh, top of the ticket in 2008 with the Libertarian Party, but... Uh, we're not getting into that tonight, but um, I think the uh, Obama's health care plan uh, is crazy. Now, if that qualifies as fishy talk, I want everybody to <laughs> call the White House and turn me in, <laughs> please, turn my ass in, because uh, I'm not, you know, who should be afraid of that? But the just the idea of collecting and, co- and putting all this information together is is pretty chilling. And uh, I think I think you should I think we should be uh, we should be outraged. And if you're not outraged, I don't think you're you're paying close enough attention. Um, you know, Obama Obama passed around one one big uh, bong of water for his uh, for his Kool Aid, and a lot of people uh, drank drank the bong water that Obama brought to the table, and I think that it's time to quit drinking uh, President Obama's bong water and, and start holding him uh, to account. Uh, on drug policy alone, he's been an abject failure. Um, there's nothing that he can say, nothing his handlers can say that... Uh, can make it any can make it uh, any sweet you know to sugarcoat it at all. How difficult would it be for President Obama to uh, take marijuana out of Schedule One in the Controlled Substances Act and uh, you know reduce some of the uh, some of the bullshit associated with that? Not hard at all. 
It's like he says, well, you know, that's the really hard stuff. I want to get this easy shit out of the way, like health care and cap and trade and all that. Well, as, it, uh, as many of you are aware, whether you're Republican or Democrat, he's not doing too well with his, uh, his health care effort. And uh, the cap and trade bill, at least the House version, is absolutely dead on arrival. So uh, President Obama is having difficulty shepherding these these uh, grand initiatives through and uh, and, and he, he should be having difficulty I spoke back uh, to my friends in at, at lecture on college campuses and like that Barack Obama uh, could be the greatest thing since sliced bread but the uh, the spending programs that he uh, envisioned, and this was be, this was before everything went to shit. Um, this was early in the in the campaign. There was just not going to be the money for uh, for all of these grand uh, grand initiatives, and that's what uh, that's basically what it's uh, shaping up to be. Whatever health care plan he gets by the end of the year will be watered down, and uh, fell considerably short. So, and it's, you know, the potential is that he could actually uh, be a one-term president. A lot of these big plans that he has, he can't bring, uh, bring to fruition, not, uh, not going to be good. Could be challenged in 2012, maybe by Hillary or someone else, but the possibility of him being challenged is, uh, is pretty good. But anyway, back to uh, having fellow Americans rat on each other. Um, and also, he said, you know, th- this this White House White House initiative. It wasn't just if they said something fishy about health care. It was if they had anything, you know, if they had anything fishy to fishy to say about any uh, any policy of uh, of the White House. And uh, you know, just just think about this for a second. Uh, back when uh, George Bush uh, was in the run up to the uh, to the war with Iraq. Imagine what would have happened if George Bush or even, dare say, Dick Cheney uh, had put the word out from their White House that asking their fellow Americans to uh, let them know uh, of any emails that are receiving or conversations they're having with people who are opposed to the war, to going to war with Iraq. Now, just imagine had they done that. I mean, the Democrats, the, you know, they'd have gone batshit crazy and, and uh, collected huge vats of tar with very hot and flamey logs underneath. They'd be, they'd be ready to tar the shit out of the uh, Republicans for that. So let's keep some perspective here. Obama is, uh, is wrong. To, uh, to ask the American people to do something like that. And, and you'll see him walk it back, and you'll go, me? Shit, what do I know? Because if it, is, you know, if it's, if it wasn't intentional, then it was naive, and if it was naive and tone deaf, that's, as I mentioned, just a, just a little frightening. So if you're still with us, give us a call. We'd like to hear from you at 727 493 2205. We may hear from our 
from friend of the show, Luke McKellar. Um, he, had, uh, he was on the show last week and said he might give us a call again, let us know how things went um, at the Columbus, Ohio tea party. Uh, I, I saw the, uh, one of the organizers. A couple of days later, he was, on, uh, he was on the Greta Van Susteren show on the record. So I taped that, and uh, I watched uh, this young man talk. I thought he presented himself well. But uh, Luke, Luke was there, and uh, I had thoughts of going up, but I had some things to do here at home with my wife that uh, conflicted with that. But there's a tea party being scheduled for, uh, for Cincinnati sometime in the next uh, three to six weeks. So I'm going to try to get up for that. Um, I think I, I, I think most of these are uh, are heartfelt. I'm a little disappointed that you know the shouting down and not giving these politicians an opportunity to say something that'll just you know dig their hole a little deeper. I am I am disappointed at the lack of civility. I'm I'm for civil discourse, whether whether I think you're an asshole or not. I want to be civil, so I, I'm not real happy with that. But I don't believe that you know these are just some orbit, some organized mob being bust in by by the Republicans and even if it is that way these are democratic oh, we have a call coming in hold on there oh you're inside the opium den hello this is Luke McKellar well Luke you made it how are you pretty good Pretty good. So I got your I got your message earlier that uh, you might not be in uh, might not be in internet zone. You couldn't uh, listen to the front half of the show. Is that true? Uh, I was able to catch it. I just sat out on the picnic table. I'm up here, uh, northern Ohio. Well, good. Whereabouts in northern Ohio? Uh, North Kingsville, just, uh, about ten miles west of uh, the Pennsylvania border. Well, how is your night up there? It's going pretty well. Weather's a little chilly, but other than that, I can't complain. Well, I'm glad that you can't complain, and I'm glad you called in. I uh, I got the chance to uh, uh, check uh, to catch that one young guy. What was the fellow's name that was uh, on Greta Van Susteren? Um, sorry, the fellow's name who was what? The the guy that was from the Columbus uh, Tea Party, one of the organizers, he was on. You guys sent out an email. He was on Greta Van Susteren. I, I I recorded it and watched it, but I can't remember his name. I think it was Jason Rink. Yes, that's it. Thank you very much. I thought he I thought he presented himself well on the show. I thought uh, he sounded like he was pretty smart, and uh, looked like he had a pretty good pretty good turnout. What'd you think? Yeah, I thought it went really well. Um, we'll see if anything happens because of it. But uh, we had at first it was five thousand people there, and then someone said six to eight thousand. So I'm just going to put all that to bed. There are three hundred eighty-four thousand people there. <laughs> <laughs> Plus or minus a handful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, how was the weather? I, I heard it, I heard you guys got rained on, but it didn't show any rain on the TV clips. Did you get wet? It rained a little bit, uh, as 
a group of us was walking down to the state house, and once we got there, it quit. And there were a couple sprinkles, but other than that, we had great weather. Cool. Did yeah. You, did you stay? What time did it actually start? Um, I got down there probably around 2 o'clock, and about then they had just started singing the national anthem, so that was pretty good timing. Now, did the number of speakers. Yeah, I, I, they had a clip of uh, Judge Napolitano uh, there for a second. And I thought the, I thought the news at least uh, you know gave it uh, gave it some coverage. You know, the left thought it was a, you know a bunch of shit, and the right thought it was great. So you know how that stuff goes. But it looks like a lot of people went, and it was a it was a, it was a good time. Yeah. Were there uh, any? Did you have any protesters? Um, I think we were all protesting. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I got to quit smoking that shit so close to nine o'clock. Were there were there any protest? Anybody there protesting your protest? Let's put it that way. Did you have any detractors? No, I didn't see any, and I was updating my Twitter status uh, throughout the event. And one of my last messages was, um, "Police are sleeping in their cars. Nothing to do." <laughs> well, if there's anything we want the police to do when there's a large, you know, nonviolent rally going on, we definitely want them to be sleeping in the cars. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, they had some horses out there, some mounted police. And I took a picture of them, then I took a picture of a big pile of horse shit. And I'm sure I'm going to find a funny caption to go with that. <laughs> Make it a contest. Well, uh, yeah. so obviously it was very peaceful and you had a good turnout. What, do you, what What's going on? They're going to have one in Cincinnati coming up? Um, I haven't heard any details about it. I'm sure they have more uh, in the planning stages. Yeah, the fellow that was on uh, on uh, Greta Van Susteren, he had mentioned that they were going to, they were in the initial stages of putting one together for uh, Cincinnati, I think September or something like that. Okay. I could, I, could have, you know, I could have made a mistake there, but I think that's what he was talking about. If that's, if that's true, I'll definitely come up and uh, and check that one out. I want to. I want to go to one of these. I want to. I want to. I want to catch. I want to feel the vibe myself. You know, my my gut instinct is that it's you know just regular Americans that are pissed off. There's no deep agenda or great uh, you know man behind the curtain pulling the strings to get them there. They just are pissed off. Yeah. So yep, I ran into a bunch of people passing out literature, and of course I had some. So. You know, we just kind of traded and smiled, and no one was uh, negative about anything, really. Um, a couple of great songs were sung. Uh, God Bless America, I recorded that on my cell phone at the end. And uh, one time the crowd just started chanting, USA, USA. Like they were at a hockey a game or something, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I got a video <laughs> of that, too. <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's great, you know, even... I don't care if, if 10 to 15, 20% of these, of these folks are, are, are doing it because they're told to do it. That still leaves a tremendous amount of ordinary Americans that are getting out there and, and, and speaking their mind. And I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful deal. An absolute, what, what, yeah. was, what were the ages? Tell me, was it a young crowd? Was it mixed? How, what, what, what was that demographic like? It was very mixed. Uh, we had uh, some of the younger people. 
so some people brought their kids, and then we had uh, a little bit older crowd than me, maybe, um, you know, 40s to 60s, and it, it was just a big mix. I was a little bit surprised, but you know, everyone just got along and did their thing. And, was it mostly uh, mostly white people, or did it seem to have a representation uh, statistically for all ethnicities? Uh, it was mostly white, I think. Um, we had one uh, black lady who was running for city council. She gave a very inspiring speech, and I recorded some video of that. I'm going to do some editing on that, put it up as an inspirational uh, YouTube video or something, because... She just, she knew how to speak, and she delivered a great message. Well, I saw Judge Napolitano, um, who was who your premier speaker, obviously, your, your uh, main keynote guy. I saw him this evening on uh, Bill O'Reilly. You know, I got to watch these, some of these shows sometimes uh, so nobody else has to, and I can report on them. But Judge Napolitano was on there, and they were talking about... Uh, you know, Snoop Dogg Obama. And uh, Judge Napolitano said that whether it was, whether it was devious or just stupidity that, uh, that led the White House to ask for this information, it was a clear violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution. And uh, the way he explained it very, in a very commonsensical way, uh, and, and I was fairly well uh, in the bag on that before Napolitano uh, cinched it for me, but it, what, what I found was just so surreal is that Obama taught constitutional law for Christ's sakes, and he's <laughs> and he's and he's missing the whole idea of asking, you know, his fellow Americans to rat out their other other fellow Americans if they're saying something fishy about one of his policies. I just thought that <laughs> think that was uh, was pretty weird. What are you are you paying attention to that? What do you think? Um, I I haven't read any detailed reports. I've just uh, kind of glimpsed at it a little bit. But uh, asking for that kind of information seems like, uh, one, it seems wrong from a constitutional standpoint, and two, it seems like a huge waste of our money. Yeah, really. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cash for clunkers, man. If that's not a microcosm of all the, of all the things that come from government control, I don't know what is. I mean, yeah. playing runs out in four days when it's supposed to have like a ninety-day run. I mean, talk, talk about central planning. That's that, that's that's pretty crazy shit. So yeah, yeah. asking uh, to to rat on uh, their neighbors. Now, I mean, that, you know, I, we're libertarians. So we can make fun of the Democrats and the Republicans. We we don't have any any official party line to toe from those guys. But can you imagine? Can you? I mean, the Democrats—they're just poo-pooing this shit from the White House. You know, oh, it's not that big a deal. Can you imagine if 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 George W. Bush or Sh- or Cheney would have asked their fellow Americans, their patriotic, real Americans, as Sarah Palin would call them, their patriotic Americans, to rat out all their fellow Americans who didn't support going to war with Iraq? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's on the same scale, but can you imagine the Democrats would have gone just batshit crazy? Just batshit yeah. fucking crazy. And here they're just kind of blowing it off as well. It's no big deal. And then they're, they're blowing off all of these angry people at tea parties and, and uh, going to Democratic town hall meetings as, 
as nut jobs and, you know, bust in by the right. And they don't seem to remember they got Code Pink and all these other crazy fucks on the left out there that were doing the same thing to to the other side. So it's, it's really, I mean, I, sometimes I got to smoke two bowls before I watch the evening mainstream media because it just, you know, freaks me out so much. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of smoking bowls... Anything? I know you had a really busy last week, but is there anything else uh, on the Portugal uh, situation, that Cato white paper? Yeah, I finished it up tonight, and the second half really just deals with comparing Portugal to other um, nations, um, mainly in the, the European Union, and then also compares it to the U.S. and some other um, countries. And the main point of it is that Portugal um, has seen a decrease in usage while other places have seen increases. Uh, Portugal has also seen an increase in people coming in for treatment. And deaths from drug use have decreased in Portugal. Uh, They've been doing a needle exchange program and an opiate program and apparently they think that has played a part in the decrease um, well apparently apparently it sounds like it, it's been just one huge failure uh, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> okay like I said I smoked that shit too close to nine o'clock tonight of course it's not a failure and it's it's a it's a run it's a runaway success. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was what their conclusion was. They even sent a draft of the report to some U.S. Um, agencies and policymakers. Well, that was a, that was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they said we didn't receive one word back. From them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they said. <laughs> It was like, well, those crazy fucks over in Portugal, what the hell do they know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I, I, since we talked last, I, I spoke to a friend of mine, and you know, I was like, well, fuck Amsterdam, man. We're going to Portugal. You can get all those drugs. And they yeah. said, actually, uh, Amsterdam is still a, a safer environment uh, to, uh, to, to smoke. I mean, because pot's mostly what everybody wants, pot and hash. That the Amsterdam experiment, you know, the city of Amsterdam and Holland in general, uh, Amsterdam in, uh, specifically, it's a it's a safer way to do things than it's, than what they've got going on in in Portugal. Now I don't don't really know if that's true, but I I, I trust my friend's judgment because he has been there. But uh, it seems like it's you know backwards if you go to a country where you can get any drug as long as you get it and have a small enough quantity of it, it doesn't matter if it's heroin, cocaine, ecstasy, pot, whatever, you're you're good to go. <laughs> you're home you're home free. But apparently the the overall uh, drug environment there is not uh, as user friendly as it is uh, in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. It, it may it may get there, but uh, yeah. they're saying, you know, still got to still got to be careful in Portugal. So yeah. what's what's uh what's on your uh on your agenda for the uh, for the weekend, are you uh, back working? Or are you still taking a couple of days off? I am back working. Uh, I've got uh, things picked up quite a bit, so got a lot to do tomorrow, and then a 
early next week. And going back to my house for the weekend. And be good to spend a little bit of time there. But I have an interesting story for you from um, I was drinking my Red Bull Simply Cola <laughs> and got it. And one of my coworkers walks up and says, Hey, interesting story about that. The Air Force banned it because it'll make you test positive. Really? Can I try some? Can I try some? <laughs> <laughs> Say no, man. Get your own shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the Air, so the Air Force banned it, huh? Yeah, I think the whole military did. <laughs> well, you know, and then none of them eat sesame seed buns either. Yeah, you know, or bagels, whatever it is, mm-hmm. or not sesame seed, poppy seed bagels. Poppy. Yeah, because yep. they 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 test positive for opiates and drinking Red Bull simply cola. So your co- your coworkers told you that story. That's that's funny, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a case of it out in my garage in case it you know it turns into be worth its weight in gold because I can't drink this shit, man. It just tasted like a huh. like a soured or or you know a spoiled Dr Pepper. But huh. actually, it tasted better to me than straight Red Bull. But uh, yeah, uh, these and then you know, now they're now they're making a big deal about these drinks that are. Uh, caffeinated alcohol drinks. Have you read anything yeah, about they, that? There's a couple of juice no. and uh, various uh, various drinks out there that are alcohol and uh, and caffeine, and they're making a big deal. Yeah. But these, these drinks, this type of thing, has been around forever. You know, people uh-huh. like to, to eat speed and drink because you can drink forever. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the whole idea. Of course, it, you know, it leads to some pretty. Uh, you know, unfortunate circumstances, but you know that was one of the joys with a lot of the coke heads. They could drink all night as long as they kept shooting coke up their nose. Oh. So, so the Air Force's banned Red Bull simply called. Well, I just think that's wonderful. I might do some research and try a little test of my own just to see what happens. You mean take if a? I do, I'll let you know. Take a take <laughs> a piss test. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I mean, you can buy these things. You know, for like if you have kids and shit, you know, they sell them to parents. You can get these, uh-huh. you can get these kids out there. Well, you do that. You, you, <laughs> you suck down a couple of Red Bulls, go piss in a cup and run it under the ribbon, whatever the fuck it takes. And, and let us know if you test positive for cocaine. Okay. All righty. Hey, I got your, I got, right. uh, I got that book sent out to your, to your friend. Rob was his name? Yeah, he told me. He, yep. Yeah. He was really excited about it. Well, good. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, not a problem, man. I think thanks for calling in tonight. I certainly appreciate it. It's always, always good to hear from you, Luke. So, uh, if we're if we're back on the air <laughs> next Thursday night, join us again because okay. we love we love the company. All right. All right. Take care, Luke. See you later. Bye All now. Right. Bye. Okay, that's my that's my buddy Luke uh, reporting on the. Tea Party up in Columbus, Ohio, and giving us his final analysis of the uh, Cato Institute's white paper on the drug uh, decriminalization drug policies that have been in effect for six or seven years in Portugal. So as we as we round out uh, the last hour, we, we want to 
do our feature that seems to be uh, a favorite, uh, Cops on Drugs, where we talk about the, uh, the most recent corrupt cop stories, uh, law enforcement gone bad. You know, who are you going to call when, when the people you call are the ones you need to call about? It probably didn't come out exactly right, but what the fuck, it's almost the end of the hour. But we have, uh, we have a couple of stories to, uh, to report this evening. And again, we'd like to send out our thanks to uh, all of our friends over at StopTheDrugWar.com. Uh, this is part of the, or one of their uh, uh, sections is the Drug War Chronicle. And uh, we find that uh, very helpful. They put together this information on all the... Uh, the uh, stupid cops and all the stupid things they do. My friends over at uh, StopTheDrugWar.com and uh, check them out. I think you'll you'll find they're uh, one of the one of the best. These guys and Pete Geither. Some of these uh, some of these guys spend a lot more time than I do on on uh, putting together information out there, and uh, they should be uh, they should be checked out. So. Again, uh, this information is provided by StopTheDrugWar.com. I wish I got a nickel every time I mentioned these guys, but uh, no advertising. We are an advertising-free zone here. So let's go here, and we'll talk about... Uh, we got... Uh, let's go to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, obviously. Um, it says in... Uh, in Washington, D.C., the federal authorities, and we all know who they are, uh, they're investigating a group of Washington-area police officers. Uh-huh. Now, these police officers are suspected of taking money, bribes, to protect um, some gambling operations that apparently were uh, set up and frequented by... Uh, powerful drug dealers. It says powerful drug dealers. As like, you know, there's a weak drug dealer? I don't know. But anyway, uh, there were five officers from Prince George's County in Maryland. Uh, and there was also a D.C. police official uh, who is nameless, actually, and a former uh, D.C. housing authority uh, officer. Uh, again, no names protect the guilty. But apparently the investigators, they collected phone records, other kinds of surveillance, uh, proving that the officers were part of the game's operations. And uh, they're also looking into the fact that maybe some of these cops who were uh, protecting uh, the gambling operation, they may be linked to uh, several killings connected to this, uh, this ring of gamblers and uh, it says that the an FBI task force and Prince George's internal affairs oh, the infamous internal affairs they're investigating at least two of the officers additionally for active participation in the drug trade and uh, several of them for trafficking in stolen property Washington DC our nation's capital they are protecting they're not only you know protecting the drug dealers from getting caught with drugs. They're protecting them from getting caught when they're illegally gambling. Uh, our nation's capital. Not a good 
Well, I guess it should be considered good that they were caught, but uh, not a not a good reflection of our nation's capital. So let's move a uh, let's move a little bit uh, north and you know, a little northwest and go up to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where a new Bethlehem police officer. Now he was arrested last week. He was after he was pulled over. Now doesn't say exactly why he was pulled over. I imagine it's some part of the sting. But uh, he was pulled over right after purchasing $450 worth of heroin. Now, anyone out there know how much, what quantity of heroin you can buy for $450? Is that uh, a week's worth, a day's worth, a couple days' worth? Certainly not enough to really resale. But anyway, he was pulled over right after purchasing $450 worth of heroin. Um, may not, since he wasn't in his police car, he may not, it may not have been known that he was a cop and they were just being watched by other cops in hot spot where people buy heroin and flagged him over. But uh, anyway, Charles Edwards III, oh my, my, I imagine Charles Edward II is not happy. And if uh, Charles Edward, the originator, is still alive, I'm sure his view of his grandson is no longer as cherished as before. But anyway, Charles Edward III, who was $450 worth of heroin, he faces charges of felony possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver. Now, where the fuck is he going to deliver it? And uh, carrying a firearm without a license. Now, if he's a cop and he's got a firearm and it doesn't have a license, it's not his police-issued revolver. It's some gun he got sideways. Maybe it's his, uh, the one they carry to throw down if they shoot somebody that they thought had a gun but doesn't. Who knows? Uh, and he was also charged with possession of a controlled substance. And that's called that, they call that as an unclassified misdemeanor. I don't know what the fuck that is. But anyway, when, uh, when Charles Edwards III was pulled over holding $450 worth of freshly purchased heroin, uh, the police saw a pistol in plain sight wow, in his car when they stopped him. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, Charles Edwards III consented to a search of the vehicle where the police promptly found the heroin during said search. Uh, now, here's the interesting part. Edwards was booked and released last week on $5,000 cash bail. Are you mean? Do you mean to tell me if I went, if I was caught with $450 worth of heroin in my possession with a unlicensed firearm, would I be released on a $5,000 cash bail? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and nonetheless, uh, Charles Edwards III uh, has been suspended without pay uh, while his new Bethlehem, Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, uh, uh, investigates the charges. $450 worth of heroin. Now, is that uh, half a gram? A gram? Uh, any any heroin aficionados out there that could uh, bring us up to speed on on uh, quantity? But anyway, Charles Edwards III, $450 worth of heroin, an unlicensed firearm. 
released on $5,000 cash bail. <laughs> Back in 1971, when I was busted for the simple possession of marijuana, and I wasn't, it wasn't even my possession, it was, in the, it was in the room where I was rudely awakened by Columbus, Ohio police officers when everybody else that, uh, you know, that was awake ran out the windows, the doors, everything else. Um, my, uh, my bail was $10,000. <laughs> I guess it's something I could laugh about now, but uh, uh, less than one ounce of pot. Ten thousand uh, dollar bail, and now uh, <laughs> some almost forty years later, four hundred and fifty dollars worth of heroin, and you get a five thousand dollar cash bail. But only if you're a cop, and only if you're in possession of an unlicensed firearm. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you have it, uh, cops on drugs, and we are at the end of another hour inside the opium den. I want to thank uh, Luke for giving us a call tonight. I want to thank everyone out there for listening in. It's always a pleasure on my end to sit down here and inside the Opium Den studio, put the headphones on and turn the lights down a little bit, crank on uh, Pink Floyd, which I think uh, some of you might be able to hear in the background. That's the Echoes, uh, Echoes disc. So again, I want to thank everyone for uh, for joining us tonight, and we invite you to join us again next week here inside the Opium Den. Um, we like it when you tune in, so join us next week. And until then, remember: when good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. <laughs>